Welcome to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by my man, Audley Stevenson, the odd man. He'll unpack wisdom and insights from a cross-section of top quality performers in business, media, sports, entertainment, and lifestyle to uncover key elements to help you live your best audacious life ever. So without further ado, here is The Odd Man. Greetings and salutations, I'm Audley Stevenson, and this is the Audacious Living Podcast, hands down the most audacious podcast on the web, and welcome, for glad you could be here. It's always a pleasure to share with you as we continue our goal of helping you live your best audacious life ever. Uh, our social media, as always, is a great way to stay connected to us. Uh, we're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, forget it, YouTube, I almost forgot YouTube, uh, you can like, follow, subscribe, share, uh, click the notification button on our YouTube channel, and you'll be alerted every time uh, new videos come out. Um, today's podcast, we're going to focus a bit on the topic of doubt, but specifically touch on the opportunity that a little bit of doubt can create for us. Now, uh, I'm going to get some help because today's guest is, is Mark Pittman, uh, who's perfect for the topic because he's done a ton of great work as an executive coach for leaders and teaches them his approaches around embracing doubt in those uncomfortable moments of uncertainty and truly treating them as gifts. Uh, he's also authored the book, The Surprising Gift of Doubt, Use Uncertainty to Become the Exceptional Leader You're Meant to Be. So uh, he's got this topic well covered and it definitely is a great conversation. Now, self-doubt is very common. And it's something that we all have to deal with once in a while. It's not unique to a specific set of individuals. We all experience it. Whether you're a celebrity, uh, successful business owner, or multimillionaire, or a high-performance athlete, you've questioned yourself at one point in time. Uh, so it's understandable uh, that, if that if you feel that way, you're not alone. Self-doubt is completely normal, and it's actually a healthy thing. The real question is, what do you do with it when you experience it? Do you let it hold you back and you don't take any action and freeze? Or do you use it as a chance to sort of self-analyze yourself and get better? The choice really is ours to make. The dialogue I had with Mark around this is great, and I think listeners will really walk away uh, with an understanding, or at least a fresh understanding, if you hadn't had it already, of really how you can embrace doubt. And uh, I think there's a, you, you'll find a true appreciation in some of the things that Mark had to say. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Pittman. Enjoy. In his latest book, The Surprising Gift of Doubt, leadership coach and author Mark Pittman teaches leaders to embrace doubt and the feelings that come with it, as well as the idea that they may not have all the answers all the time. Instead of pushing it away, doubt is meant to be embraced, as it's often a signal that greatness is around the corner. Mark will get into all this and more coming up next on the Audacious Living Podcast. Mark, it's, it's great to have you uh, on the Audacious Living Podcast. Thanks so much for being here. Well, thank you for having me. This is a, a distinct pleasure. Thank you. Awesome. Awesome. Um, you're, you're an author. You've written a book. How's that for you? 
<laughs> well, the it feels it's I, it's weird. This is my eighth book, the new book that just came out, and it's as much work each time. I forget each time how much work writing a book is, but um, what is really cool this time is it's the first book where I've sent it out for people for pre-release endorsements, yep. and they sent it back to me with comments about here's my endorsement and thank you so much for this exercise or this technique, I, I, I needed to hear that. Um, so it's already was helping people before and people are, this is the first one where people are actually posting it in the, pictures in the wild, which is great. Oh, it's so much fun to see the joy that people are getting from the book. So amazing. it's, it's great. It's a well, real well, honor. Well, 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 the timing of messages is, 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 you know, you can't beat that, right? I know, right? You know, how often is it you pick up something, you read something, you see a tweet or a post, you're like, oh my goodness this is exactly what I need in this moment. So it sounds like that it's a little, you experienced a little bit of that. I didn't experience. Yeah. I did not realize that because I've been a leadership coach since 2003, Franklin Covey certified leadership coach, got my master's in organizational leadership before that. And so I've been working with leaders the whole, you know, couple, almost a couple of decades. So I know the, the surprising gift of doubts, this explains how I work with coach with, with my clients. Um, and it's the first time in 20 years where I've actually been able to do it and people get it. Um, usually I, they say, what do you do? Oh, I'm an executive coach. And they'd say, okay. And then they come back and say, so what do you do? <laughs> um, so this is, this was the answer to that. And I've been doing it as keynotes when before the pandemic and I was doing some intensives where leaders came into Greenville, South Carolina, where I live. And, um, we're able to work on this for a whole day because most of us don't give ourselves time in our day to work on ourselves. So to get out of our system and just have a day committed to working with other people in a room, that was really helpful. Um, so I knew it worked. And it and when the pandemic hit, my wife said, all right, this is this is where we're moving forward on the book. You've, you've got drafts of it. You think yep. you've got a draft that works. Let's work with um getting this done. And it wasn't until after it was, so you get consumed in the details Absolutely. and then it was released and you realize, Oh, we have spent a time of global doubt in the last 14 months that is shared. It's not just people groups or sectors or whatever. There is a common sense of doubt. We don't know what the way ahead is. And uh, so I, yeah, I'm surprised well, at how timely it is. Well, it's, yeah, it's so easy Go for ahead. me to sit in my little bubble, my little world and think that I'm the only one experiencing it or not even really uh, recognizing someone else's experience because I'm so deep in my own stuff, right? And right? where there's great power is kind of people coming together and going, hey, I'm feeling the same way too. Like, hey, me too. And well, that's where, so that's one of the power. Yeah, I totally agree with you. Leadership or in self-employment or however you're, you are, leadership, I think, is influencing others. So however you're influencing others, it isn't um, in our cultures necessarily the right place to show doubt, especially with the models we've been given. We've been given models of you have it together. You're a bold leader with confidence. You're Go for crashing it. forward and decisive and no questions, no second guessing, right. um, which so that's what we try to replicate. And when we don't feel that, we feel like, wow, there must be something broken with me because I see all these issues. Like when you when you take over, I had a mentor that said, the view is always different from the captain's chair. When you sit in that CEO seat, the executive director seat, when you're responsible for all the revenue and expenses or overseeing that, that gets really scary. There's a lot more to see. So, um, but it, it's the higher we move up in organizations, the less safe it gets to talk because there's less supervision and you want to show confidence. Cause I had a leader in Colorado tell me, Mark, look, you know, I, I, vulnerability. I understand they say it's important. 
the hundred people that report to me don't need to see me saying, I'm really not sure we haven't got this all figured out right. because they want to know they have a job. They, right. they need to have some sort of, to be able to do their job, they need to have some level of confidence that we're moving forward. So um, just like you said, it's amazing. That's why the, the leadership intensives were so fun. But even when I'm doing a keynote on this or something, to have the person on the stage saying, we all go through doubt. We all experience doubt. Uh, and seeing just the atmosphere in the room, you can almost see it change uh, because people are just- relief. That's yeah, fun. yeah, they're-, they're yeah. Oh, I'm not alone. I'm not going to admit it to anyone else, but at least somebody sees me and I'm maybe not crazy. Maybe I'm not alone in this. Yeah. yeah. Well, you, and you gave, in your book, you gave an illustration of that leader who wanted to be led or directed or supervised, if you will. Right. And I think, and, and, and I thought that was perfect because I really put you, oh, this is what it's like. And it, it's, there's nothing wrong with that because of, again, the doubt kind of creeps in and, and it's, it's, and I, I really, what I, I think is great about your book is you're giving permission to be okay with having doubt. It's not a bad thing. Well, yeah. And, and because I think part of what happens uh, to a lot of us is that the doubt becomes, we focus on, because we think doubt is bad, we focus on it as a weakness and a bad thing that needs to be fixed instead of wondering what else could this be telling me? And I, I honestly, it took me years to figure out that could be telling me anything. So, but I think it's what, what your message is always is about being authentically yourself is where that's the gift. Um, okay. These things aren't working for me. It could be that I'm broken, which is totally legit. There's a lot of good places to get certifications or therapy or pharmaceuticals. There's all sorts of different ways. To, we live in a wonderful time where there's a lot of ways to address issues yeah. or stuff. Yes. But maybe... Maybe it's that I'm an introvert leader and I'm just modeling extroverts and that's why I'm so exhausted. And maybe I need to discover a different way of, of leading my team. Uh, or maybe it's, you know, I'm a facts-based person and everybody around me is all about relationships. And I'm, I, I need to put some sort of quantifiable measure on this so that I know that we're moving forward too, not just yep. having a party every day. Yep. <laughs> okay. Everybody feels great, but are we getting anything done? So yeah, figuring out some of those nuances um, can be really, really helpful uh, and make it. So, so you moves from, I don't know if you've had this. I've heard, I grew up in a family where we had homework because we were school students, you know, we we're in school and we had homework because we were Pittman's. So I had to read Del Carnegie, how to win friends and influence people. Norman Vincent Peale, power, positive thinking, you know, yeah. listen to, to uh, Zig Ziglar and Les Brown and are you hungry? You know, motivational speakers and all. And the, the um, growing up in that, um, I forgot where I was going because I get so excited about Les Brown. <laughs> That's so scary. Well, I, but go ahead. I yeah. was telling you a story about growing up. I mean, I grew up in a religious household, so we oftentimes our homework was biblical based Bible. Oh, stories. we were reading every morning, five in the morning. We read through. We were falling asleep over the genealogies in the Old Testament. Yeah, we were. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So there's a there. I love that having that learning lifelong learning, because I think leaders, that's something that helps all can help us. I keep saying all of us, but um, I am surprised. It is that people, all of us, isn't it? Like, is it? I think so, too. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm I've coached a number of leaders who don't read and I don't understand that. Um, but they're still teachable, which is good. It's the leaders that I feel sad for are the people, the people that stop learning and they just feel like I I'm done learning. That just, that I'm seems so busy. sad. Yeah. I'm, I'm too busy being a leader that I can't learn. And I think the two are ahead. Yeah, there's something, isn't there? Yeah. A lot of us forget, don't give well, a lot of, I think some of what happens too is through school, we get taught by report cards and 
work, we get taught by performance reviews. So if we're not doing things that are going to show up on the report card, I think we often feel like we're not doing legitimate work. So reading a book to learn how to be a better leader, learn how to cast vision, set goals, work with a team, um, that can feel like you're cheating because it's not actually in a quantifiable way necessarily producing revenue or producing outcomes. But um, well, it's again, I'm a Franklin Covey guy. Stephen Covey's talking about sharpening the saw. It's actually, it's actually building your capacity to do more, right. but you have to give yourself permission or be around people that will give you permission to say, yeah, no, you need to take some professional development. You need to learn some more. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You gave an example just a few moments ago about introverted leader. And, and, I, and I absolutely yeah. love that because um, that's first off that's something that we connect to leadership is being an introvert. And, uh, and, and, and many will say, well, how can you be a leader if you're inward thinking all the time? But so much even of what your book, it's forcing people to kind of look inwards. True. I hadn't made that connection. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the best gifts that our, we can give our organizations is a space for introvert leaders. Um, introverts have the ability to think and then speak shocking for me as an extrovert. I want to just, I don't know what I'm thinking until I said it. <laughs> Let's speak at the same time. Right. Right. And then I'll figure it. So that's what early in our marriage, that was one of our biggest areas of conflict with my wife and I, cause we had, we lined up on some of the other areas, but introvert extrovert, we get to the end of the day, come back to our tiny little cramped duplex that the other, the landlord had taken over part of. So we're in a little tiny part. Um, and we'd be exhausted. And I just say, let's just go to a movie or Starbucks. And my wife would look at me like I had six heads. It was crazy. You know, no, I'm exhausted. I want to just watch TV. And I don't know if this was similar to your family, but my family, you didn't watch TV. You read books, you, you went to seminars, TV was seen as a bad thing. And um, I did not know that TV for an introvert can be a way of putting up a fence around themselves so that they can internally process stuff. Um, but I would also then share a whole bunch of ideas of what we could do. And she'd say, I'd leave feeling great. I've made my decision. This is awesome. And she'd be just dizzy with what did you just do? You just talked all sides of an issue. So, so knowing some of these things internally, she was able to start asking me, are you verbally processing or have you come to a decision? <laughs> no, 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 no. I get it. I, I can, I can relate so much to that. And I've actually even forced myself to kind of just slow down a bit and, because I, I, yeah. I, I want to be out there. I want to hey, 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 look, you know, let's, 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 let's you know, um, openly discuss and, 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 and go through that problem solving out in the open. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. Not everyone is at that same. Some people want that time to process and think and, and really be thoughtful and analyze and then come out and say, here's what I think. Nothing wrong with that. Well, one of the things that I've learned, um, Suzanne Stabile does a lot of good teaching on the Enneagram. And one of the ways that she codifies this typology, uh, nine type typology, was with um, stances, which is a, a Dr. Karen Horney uh, did this in Germany. Horney, sorry. Um, she has there are aggressive stances, there are dependent stances, and there are withdrawn stances. And I think that they can all be good leaders. I worked with some withdrawn stance leaders in the pandemic. Uh, in the beginning of the pandemic and the withdrawn tends to close their door, look to the past for their answers for the present and future and really absorb information, which can be very frustrating to an aggressive who wants to just get stuff done. The future is not, you know, they live in the future, aggressives live in the future. And so as we start understanding and then dependents confuse both of them because dependents are always in the present more and looking at, for answers with other people. So, but if you, if we're working together in teams, 
we need the people that can look to the back and amass information and be able to process that. They need to be benefited by the aggressives to actually get out of the door and do something. Um, but they also need the, we all need the dependence to be able to help us not leave people unintentionally leave people behind. Uh, because if it were just aggressors, we 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 leave everybody in our dust. And if it we're just withdrawns, they wouldn't attract anybody or keep them around. So having the having the differences and the varieties frees people up to be themselves. I, I had this experience where I was in one job as a fundraising executive, uh, major gift person. Okay. Loved my job. I love travel. I love people. Love connecting people to causes. Loved all all of it. But I thought I w- I thought I couldn't really. It wasn't really worth a paycheck if I enjoyed it. So I was telling one of the faculty members at the boarding school, we were driving to the mall to get some stuff for a camping trip with the students. And I, I tried to downplay it. I tried to talk about the hardships of air travel because they were, I mean, it's not, it's not all glory. And we, but I was trying to, I did a bad job, oddly. I did a really bad job being really not liking my job because he looked over me and said, you really love what you do, don't you? And I got this kind of like sheepish grin, like guilty grin of, yeah, I do. And what, what that, showed me was he didn't want to do that at all. He loved being, he was more reserved and he liked being in a classroom where he knew the curriculum. He knew how to make the adjustments because he knew what was expected each day. And if it didn't happen where he had to make it, make it up, he, he knew his expectations. He knew here's where he was going to be. And he said, he loved that. And that is, I think as leaders, one of the things we find is, uh, and that people love doing stuff we don't love doing, and we're not cheating by helping them do what they love. No. <laughs> you really love doing the book work? I don't. Could you take, you know, would you consider taking that on as part of this? Um, it, it's not cheating, it's leading. Cool, right? There's room for everyone. So absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Mark, can we, can we I want to go back actually to the title of your book, The Surprising sure. Gift of Delt. Uh, what is so, what, what makes Delt such a surprising gift? It's seen as, you know, like we just talked about earlier that many view it as a bad thing, not good, holds you back. Uh, I would imagine fear, and we'll talk about fear in a little bit. I imagine fear is is, is works in that as well. Explain explain that to me, Willie. Well, the doubt drives us um, to as le- what I've observed over twenty years of executive coaching uh, leaders is that doubt drives us to get fixed, which is not the gift part yet. Um, the first part of of getting fixed is usually looking to the external cues. So we we know something we're leading like others lead, but we're not getting the responses others get. So we have to figure out why are we not getting them? What's wrong with us? Is it goal setting? Is it time management? Is it people skills? Is it, um, you know, so we go to seminars, we get certifications, we get degrees, even we, we, we try to fix what's wrong. Right. What that is a positive aspect of it. But what usually happens with leaders that are, because leaders are so caring and want to make an impact on the world. Um, is that they don't look at the 80%. You know, when you read a book, like I read Getting Things Done, I didn't, it, I didn't fully implement it. And I felt like I, I, it would be easy for me. And I probably did at the time think I'm a failure because everybody on the book cover said that they implemented the entire system of getting things done and it changed their life and it transformed their world. Um, and I only took two things from the book. I must be really deficient because I missed the other 80%. Right. Um, which, so, and people lurch. And that's where so many people's success journeys are, is they lurch from feeling failure uh, to failure. Uh, And that's where where I lost myself before was the whole fake it till you make it. There's an aspect of faking it till you make it that is actually healthy in leadership, I think. But there's also another aspect of, and and this deep doubt part, uh, it's not healthy because 
you're the, you're, you know, you've got this long you, string of successes and there are people around you that totally have confidence that you'll be able to pull the rabbit out of the hat again, but you have no idea how it's going to be done. And you just feel like you're, you're a fraud and you shouldn't be there. And maybe you should just not even be leading the team, the project, the organization anymore. The gift is that that doubt can get amped up enough where it forces you, you get exhausted with looking at external cues and the, you have the invitation to look internally and look at your how you're wired, how you're put together, how your organization operates, not excluding all the external stuff, the data, the stats, the stuff, the hard facts is good, but we're told not to go soft, not to look to the internal, not to look at the emotional. And I think the gift of doubt is reframing from, I keep failing, I must be broken to what if I'm exactly the type of leader that's needed for this situation? What if I'm exactly the voice that needs to be heard on this cause? What if my organization is exactly the, the type of organization that our sector needs? Right. And when you start thinking from that perspective, you start seeing what makes us different. How are we operating differently? What can we contribute to the conversation? And that is a huge gift, I would, I, I would submit. Yeah, no, and, I, and, I, and I see where you're coming from, and I, I, I follow that train of thought, because a big part of that, as I see it, is, is kind, of, kind of like embracing that, that uncertainty, the things you don't know about, the things you're uncertain about, because you, 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 you can't move forward without it. And, and the other part of that is after you embrace it, you kind of have to act and implement it on it, right? Like, it's, it's no different than I've got a book, you know, shelf, bookshelf full of books, and I can read them all, and I put them on the shelf to look good, but I don't actually do anything with them. Then what have I really accomplished? Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the gifts of, well, I shouldn't, I don't want to say this because I don't want to sound flip. Um, one of the shared experiences of the, coming out of the pandemic as we are having gone through a global pandemic is that there was at least a period of time, particularly in the beginning of the lockdowns, whenever those happened in the different countries that are listening, where there, there was a shared experience across all sectors and across all uh, levels of, of an organization of, we don't know what's coming. We do not know what this looks like. And hopefully people will be able to harken back to that and have that shared experience. It was very scary. I know I was scared working with my clients because we didn't know at first and we started gaining some traction. Um, and that's where, for me, I'm all about action um, and I'm an aggressive. I understand that, but the action starts building some confidence. So as you start acting on certain things and beta testing and just trying things out and seeing what works, um, you can learn how you adapt, but also how people respond. And you can get data from that as opposed to just being sitting in a, in the void of ambiguity and unknown. Um, right. Yeah. Yeah. If you know a lot of data, that's great, but you have to actually act on it to act, to move forward. Yeah, as opposed to being in this frozen state of, you know, what do I do? And, and you know, it's interesting during those periods, and I use the pandemic as a great example, uh, you know, that's a tremendous opportunity to, to people who even use creativity as an example, right? Like become more creative to problem solve, to develop new systems of ways of doing things. So there's some, there's, so it's going back to embracing that because a lot of really good things can come out of it. Well, and that's where I don't, uh, a lot of our, our organizations are really, there are some sectors, I guess, that are big, more, less risk averse, but many of them are risk averse. And there's that saying that I've heard a lot before the pandemic of nobody ever got fired for doing the, thing, the same thing as last year. Um, and that really needs to, there needs to be some sort of increased tolerance for risk so that we can try uh, medical f practices 
always said they couldn't go online because of HIPAA. If in the United States, it's HIPAA because of privacy laws, whatever. And within days, they had converted Absolutely. to seeing yeah. to telehealth and all. Right. So um, we can do things that we don't think we can do. Um, and there are people, friends of mine, whose entire their entire livelihood was wiped out, um, and they were able to to take what you know, figure out what do I know and how can that address where people are now. And they were able to come out of the the pandemic stronger. Uh, it was not comfortable. <laughs> I mean, there's there, and that's the thing with risk is that there's a lot of uncertainty. But if you're doing it for the right reasons, that's why I love values. Um, help, helping you find your core values, helping an organization figure out yeah. their core values right. can help know that like that's what held some of these organizations together uh, at times of crisis is we do not know what's ahead. That can be an honest statement from a leader. Sure, but we do know these things to be true. We are going to take care of all of our staff. We're going to do the best we can. We have a responsibility to keep the organization alive. And whatever we do, we'll try to do that in a way that keeps us all as a team. Um, we do know that we're going to treat everybody with humanity. So if we have to make tough decisions, we're not going to do it in a way that objectifies people or uh, uh, does it on a, without, you know, we're going to take care of you as best as we can in this situation. You know, whatever those values are, yeah. Um, yeah. being able to reaffirm that to people that, hey, these are the things that are these are going to stick around. These are our whys. Here's why we're doing what we're doing and, and why it's important that we maintain to maintain us doing that. Um, I, I thought the example you gave about well, the telehealth right. was a really good example um, because, uh, you know, all the time is that, we, you know, we couldn't be online. We couldn't be online. We couldn't be online. And, you know, within moments, because you had to, it was. And, and sort of where, where, where I want to go with this is really around, you know, the doubt that we have. Is it really founded? Or what is it founded in, right? Because huh. we're, you know, we're, you'll see sometimes where decisions aren't made or action isn't being taken because of this doubt, but we don't know if that doubt is even founded in anything real. Well, isn't that the truth? Yeah, there's a, that 90% of the things that I think, I think it's a quote attributed to Mark Twain, which many of them are, 90% uh, of the things I worried about never came to pass anyway. Um, and that's, yeah, that's true. The, there are certain people that are really good at finding all sorts of risks and reasons why things won't work. And um, when they start taking action on, in certain ways, they find out that, you know, you don't know. And I guess, I don't know if you heard this in, in some of the reading you've done or, or and all, but I, I've heard that, um, what was it? Uh, fear knocked at the door, faith answered, and no one was there. Um, and, and, and Zig Ziglar used to say, and I'm sure other people did too, that uh, fear was false evidence appearing real. It looks like a big deal. An example of this in North America during the last, at the time of this recording, the last year or so, was uh, nonprofits and donors. Um, nonprofits in the beginning of the pandemic felt like, businesses are being shuttered. It is not respectful for us to ask right now for money. People are dying and businesses are being shuttered. What we learned quickly, the, there were some nonprofits that said, you know what, I'm going to treat the donor like an adult and let them decide. I'm not going to try to be parental and say, oh, you can't, I will not allow you to give. And the ones that gave their option to donors doubled and tripled their fundraising. Donors are incredibly generous. Uh, but the fear stymied so many. And so, so many good causes are now out of business because um, they let fear become a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right. Um, instead of saying, yeah, let's let this, we can change our wording saying, this may not be a good time for you. We get that. If you're able to contribute, would you consider? That's fine. Yes. But to just not ask, it's like driving across country and not putting gas in your tank. You're not going to get far. <laughs> not <at all. laughs> you're no, not going to make it. 
and, and again, fear, fear does that. It cripples you. It freezes you. It holds you back. And again, you know, to, to that the acronym about you know things appearing real when they really just aren't, right? Yeah, and that's where the, I think the healthy fake it till you make it is uh, there. Where there are times, and I've I've seen in my own work where when you have four or five paying clients calling you to do something that you don't list on your website, they see they I I have learned over the years that maybe they see something in me that I don't see in myself. And that's where I'll be honest. I won't lie to them at all. Honesty and integrity are our best leadership tools, but um, I will choose, I will move forward. I said, look, this isn't something I offer, but if you see this, we can move forward. And I still feel like I'm faking it, but I learn, oh, wow, there's a whole nother tool set that I didn't even realize, or there's a different way to do what I, yeah. I offer that per, you know, can be also addressed this to this problem. Yeah. Um, so that's where the, yeah, the, the pushing through fear. Yeah. You, you may be faking it because the fear is so present. Uh, but there's another saying that said without, uh, without fear, courage wouldn't be courage. You, you have to have courage yeah. to get through fear. Yeah. So it's not feeling the fear. That's the weakness. It's being stopped by it. That it can be going back to that embracing the uncertainty. You don't know, but jump in the pool anyways. Right. Yeah. Right. And so part of that is the stories we tell ourselves too. Um, I'm big on the stories in our self-talk and part of yes. uh, when it's, whether it's sales or uh, you know, you're calling up a prospect or just whatever it is, you're calling someone and you think you could think, boy, this could be the worst time I could be interrupting them. This may be the most annoying call. I'm maybe being really pushy. Those could, those are all possibilities, but they're just as untrue as the saying, maybe this is the best time. Maybe they just came into a ton of cash and they're looking to buy from me. Maybe they've been looking for a volunteer opportunity like this. Maybe I'm going to make their day. And so I figure I might as well lie to myself on the positive side because my energy goes up and I'll have a better, right. it'll be a less painful experience for the other person on the call because at least I'll be happy. <laughs> that makes sense. It makes sense. Um, I want to talk about listening to the nudge and I'll tell you um, when I, when I uh, came across that in your book, my ears kind of perked up a bit uh, and I, it got my attention on and, and largely due to the fact that uh, I very much connected to what we talk about on this podcast, right? In terms of taking that risk, taking that chance, taking that step. But oftentimes it starts with that, that nudge, right? It oftentimes starts with that little push because uh, if you can get past that thing in front of you, right? I always talk about the, on the other side of greatness. So on, the other, on, the other side, sorry, on the other side of obstacles is where our greatness lies. But to get there, we need that nudge. Mm. Yeah, that was something, and I don't talk about this in the book, but um, you, you brought up faith before, earlier. One faith tradition I was in, we actually would um, test the, the inner voice. Like when we hear, so we had a suggestion, we, we learned a lot of humility and a lot of, we never said, I am told to tell you this. Not, none of that. We came in with a lot of humility, but it's, I'm sensing this. Does that make sense? And being permission to fail, permission to be wrong, um, it has, it, what was amazing is, when you walk up to someone and say, I'm kind of sensing, you know, may I ask you something or may I share something with you? Sure. I'm sensing this about you. Is that, does that resonate? Is that accurate? Um, and it, uh, nine times out of 10, it would be right on. Um, and so then you start extrapolating that with your life. Like I'm sensing that and people just filled in the blank. This I've been working in this direction. I'm sensing that if I did this thing over here, it'd be right, but there's nothing to, to verify that at all. Uh, there's no, I don't, I can't find the studies to say that we need to be doing this. 
I think there's something here. Uh, and just giving yourself permission to, to, to test it. Like we were talking about earlier, taking some action. Um, and I think this is where it sounds like in the way that you teach audacious too, it's similar to it's being authentic to yourself, not being a blaggart or a bra uh, you know, not being, this isn't the time for the confetti and balloons and t-shirts that everybody wears with the new slogan, but this is just the, I, I always, I'm, most of the things I try, I call them beta testing because, or, or, or a practice, not a policy. Cause I just want, but it takes a lot to get, become a practice. It's usually a beta test or something we're just testing out um, because it's a lot easier to stop it. There's a lot less ego involved when, yeah, you know, I, I tested this podcast and it was a good run, but you know, we're going to move in a different, different map gotcha. position. I interviewed a leader, uh, Suzanne Nance out of uh, Portland, Oregon. Okay. She leads one of the uh, public radio stations there. And she talked about how she, her staff came to her with a project she knew was not sustainable and was doomed to fail, but it was the right thing for them to do. And for them to go on that journey together as a staff of realizing why it wasn't sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, and she had the maturity to understand this, I guess, partly is it's not going to reflect whether it reflects on me, good or bad. This is something we, the staff, it's strongly you know, approved by the staff. And it, and it will benefit listeners for a period of time. Uh, and it was in bringing uh, senior citizens to live music concerts before the pandemic. And there are all sorts of great stories that they've got out of this as a team. And they did shutter the project, but they can celebrate. Hey, we listened to that. Yeah, we tried that out. This was a good thing. Um, it, and, it, and we've, you know, it wasn't sustainable, but wow. What I love, I guess what I'm saying about that is I love leaders that are able to build risk for the right reasons into their uh experience so that they can hearken back to that and it becomes a little less scary um that says, says a lot about her enabled i mean knowing that the road we're going down is a dead end and to, to still go anyways yeah like, yeah and knowing that, that she's not the boss because it's a nonprofit, so the board is the boss yep. and so the board is going to reflect on her you did this project why did you expend our our time effort and resources yeah. this way uh, yeah, I agree. There was one one leader I know, and I won't say it on the show because it was it was pretty uh, weird. But it was basically a stupidity award. He had a statue that modeled stupidity, and it was um, their VP of H- Human Resources, and they shared every every staff meeting, and uh, they put it under their desk. But what they would do is they were it was ma- being made a fool for trying to do the right thing. And it was for serving the staff. It's human resources. Like I tried to be so staff serving that I got totally taken for a ride. This person manipulated me or this happened. And it was the VP all the way down in the division. And what, so they, they vied for it. And, but what they, he found was that people would come up to him midweek. Hey, I think I just earned the trophy. And they were able to stem problems a lot quicker as opposed to people covering them up, trying not to expose them, trying. Yeah trying to look good. Um, it, it, it allowed, it, it gave some humanity to the whole process of we're not going to get it right all the time. Right. Uh, nah, yeah, no, it's big. I like that. I like that a lot. Um, uh, the significance of, of, of leaders sort of recognizing their strengths and, and, and their gifts. And uh, I, I think that's an, a, another big one. I wonder if you could touch on Mark, because that, that to me, when you sort of look at the whole, you know, the, the whole, you know, the whole picture, if you will, that, that stands out as a real, real, real big one. In addition to sort of recognizing the issue up front, right? But how you resolve that, like that's a really big one. 
like the, the, the different hard wirings or yeah, just, yeah, that's right. yeah. Um, so the way I, I, would love to hear what assessments, what, what assessments do you use when it comes to hard wiring? Like, what have you found helpful? Well, you know, when you talk about behaviors as an example, as, yeah. as you really analyze it, cause you know, I, I like this sort of idea of analyzing those behaviors and, and, and learning from what lessons do you, you, you learn from that about who you are, the people around you, how you interact with them and you know what you can. So I think th those are sort of the things that come to mind immediately. Yeah. So I love, so I love assessments as long as they're not used to confine people and not to protect and not to limit others by saying you can't possibly do this because the assessment said you're that or, um, yourself. I can't possibly do this. So my one of my examples is I'm a very active people-centered person, but I had to learn to operate my, do my budget, even though it was not a strong point for me. Um, my wife also told me I had to learn to do my budget. <laughs> so she left the house for the first 18 months of her turning the books over to me for a while. Um, and because it was just so stormy and not, and not good, but there, there are certain things that we're called on to do but it was good for me to know that it wasn't necessarily my skill set. So the way I the way I like to I found through coaching leaders is there's the behavior based uh, hardwiring like DISC assessment is usually that's the one I use, introvert extrovert uh, task centered people centered. But then there's also cognitive ability or muscle ability. There's a certain things you do ability hardwiring is sort of what comes what can you do quickly. Um, and you can develop skills to help you over, uh, you know, do things differently. But uh, there's the Highlands Ability Battery that does 19 different tasks under time pressure that you could probably do if you're given enough time, but it shows what comes quickly to you. And that's really helpful because you can't skew those results. Those aren't like, would you rather go to a movie or read a book? I, I don't know. It depends on the movie. It depends on the book. Um then there's also the motivation hardwiring, which I find is really helpful, uh, which I, I use the Enneagram for because it tells not just what your behavior is, but what story are you living out of that causes you to see that behavior as the way to be successful in the world. All of those things, I think, do two things. One, it helps you as a leader realize, oh, not everybody sees the world like me. That's right. Um, so you can start uh, identifying yourself of, okay, I'm getting really stressed right now. Why? And, you know, in a, in a staff meeting that's all process driven and you want to get stuff accomplished, it could be, oh, it's because this is another process thing. They're going to start another investigative committee or they're going to start another study session. And I just want an outcome. And then you can, you can just live in that space that Roland May talks about between stimulus and response. And, and you get to be able to say, what's the appropriate response? Should I push for accomplishment or should I allow for a little bit more study? Um, but you also uh, learn how to work with others and speak their dialect too. Mm -hmm. So you learn if you're talking to someone like me, it may be appropriate to speak a little faster, but if I'm talking to someone that's more reserved, I should take clues to, yes. to just be hospitable, to yes. you know, speak the dialect of the person and to be hospitable of holding back or honoring the fact that somebody that's more reserved may be when they share an idea they're not verbally processing. They're not necessarily looking for me to bat it around and, and, and all. I, might, I need to treat that idea with a little bit of respect that, you know, that I wouldn't necessarily feel for an idea I share because I'm just kind of spitballing where they're actually, they've already done the internal processing. Um, so so I, I think it get, develops a lot of grace and compassion in leaders um, and productivity. You stop putting up sabotaging activities and behaviors and actions um, that, that cause you to, your team to stumble and you can help move them into positions that are, that are more suited for them. Yeah. Mark, I've, I've 
really enjoyed this conversation. It's been so much fun and I uh, uh, had a lot of fun just dissecting and, and we even talked about your book too. Imagine that. Eh? <laughs> As well. Thank you so much. Uh, I, I do want to ask you one, one, one yeah. last question around integrity, which is interesting. Interestingly enough, uh, that was the last chapter in your book. I think it was honoring your integrity. And yeah. um, I, I think that's a sort of nice bow in all this because uh, I think there's some, when we talk about integrity, certainly and how we behave, but we, we owe it to ourselves as well to a certain degree to behave with integrity and, and how we act and even the manner where we think and to take action, things of that nature. I wonder if you sort of touch on that significance in the leadership framework. So for, yeah, for the way I talk about integrity is that when you have your hardwiring and your stories that you tell yourself and your goal setting and your mission, vision, values working together, they're integrated. And so that's the integrity comes from the integration. And there's a, a sense of, even though you're not, this is a lifelong journey. So it's not like you're going to arrive at, oh, I now get it. It's, it's a process of discovery and people keep changing, systems keep changing, culture keeps changing. But there's a, um, a solidity that comes from knowing where your center is and knowing where you're going to flex and where you're not going to flex, where lines you're not going to cross. Um, and that kind of integrity gives you this real focus as you're leading, where you realize you, you have an ability to respond to things without just having to react knee jerk to things. Um, and that's, so that's why I call it the integrity model. And I, I love that kind of, that, that almost indescribable feeling of confidence that comes from working as well, uh, as I put, I think I said in the book, it's, it's instead of taking other people's leadership suits and trying to fit into those, their clothing, you get the custom made suit. That's perfectly for you and perfectly for your organization. Absolutely. And that's, and that's it's so key. We're, we're, if we all do that, just imagine how fantastic of a place this would be. If we're all well, it's kind of audacious, isn't it? Because we're not taught, it. we're taught to be similar or to or conform yeah. and what this is doing is helping people be their audacious selves be authentic yeah the world can you imagine well of course you can because this is your podcast how much better the world would be if yeah. we were all freed up that's right to be ourselves not to be loose cannons not to be you know toxic people but freed up to be ourselves oh my goodness that's that's my dream too that's a whole my goal you, you, you don't got to sell me. I'm right there with you, Mark. <laughs> if we could, let, if you could let our listeners know uh, uh, where they can more, find out more about you, or specifically uh, get, pick up a copy of their own copy of the surprising gift of doubt. It's at Indigo, Amazon, anywhere fine books are sold. Uh, book uh, Bookshop.org allow and Indie. Uh, I think it's Indiegogo allows for independent bookstores to get to be benefited too. Uh, ConcordLeadershipGroup.com is where I've got um, a lot of my stuff. And if people wanted to do the uh, values inventory, it's at Concord with a D. ConcordLeadershipGroup.com/slash/values, and they can get a free uh, values inventory there. Awesome, awesome. Hey, Mark, I I, again, I appreciate this. A lot of fun. Thanks for sharing the insights and congrats on the book. Thank you. All right. All the best. Take care. Bye now. Back we are here on the podcast. And I first off want to send my thanks and appreciation for Mark for stopping by uh, and leaving us with those insights. So again, uh, thank you so, so much. Uh, I think it was great just to have that dialogue. And I think your insights uh, help will help adjust our perspective uh, as it relates to the topic of doubt and self-doubt. Uh, we know that it's a real thing. Uh, it's going to come up. The real question is, or what are you going to do when it arrives and how do we handle it? How do we interpret it? Uh, 
how do we analyze it? Those are all great things that we should be doing uh, when we, again, when we run into doubt and it will come. Uh, hey, listen, if you haven't registered for email notifications of the podcast, I'd encourage you to do so by heading over to bestaudaciouslife.com. All you've got to do is enter your email address and you'll be alerted every time there's any kind of new content that comes out or any kind of updates or news or whatever. You are immediately uh, in the know and, and in the loop. Uh, I want to take this opportunity, as I always do, to thank our listeners uh, for the tremendous ongoing support. It really means so much uh, to us here on the podcast. And again, we just appreciate you. Until next time, stay safe, be kind, show love to one another, and be audacious. You've been listening to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by Audley Stevenson. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, be audacious.